Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's December 16, 2019. Welcome to The Quadcast. First up, now walk it out. The debate continues on the best way to radiate spinal cord compression. Many hoped that the Phase 3 SCORAD trial would provide some answers. Initial results were presented in abstract form at ASCO two and a half years ago. Here, we finally have the full manuscript, as published in JAMA 2019 by Hoskin et al. And for a trial with a primary endpoint that was measured at eight weeks, that leaves a whole lot of time for statistical analyses. And if that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. As a reminder, 686 patients receiving upfront conventional palliative radiation, more specifically, non-surgical management, for solid tumor core compression across 43 centers in the UK and in Australia were randomized one-to-one to either 4 gray times 5 for a total of 20 gray versus 8 gray times 1. The primary endpoint was ambulatory status at 8 weeks as measured on a 4-point scale. Grade 1 to 2 was walking, grade 3 to 4 was not walking. Two-thirds of patients in each arm were ambulatory at baseline. The first big, maybe even biggest, takeaway here is that less than half of patients made it to follow-up at eight weeks, as over one-third had already died. Among the 342 patients with available data, the rates of grade 1 to 2 ambulation after 5 versus 1 fraction, respectively, were 64% and 64% at week 1, 68% versus 67% at week 4, 73% versus 69% at week 8, and 72% versus 68% at week 12. In other words, it was statistically non-inferior at all time points except the primary time point of 8 weeks, where the lower boundary of the confidence interval, negative 11.5%, eked over the a priori line in the sand of minus 11%. Grade 3 to 4 adverse events were recorded in 20% of the patients in both arms, and almost half were fatigue. The bottom line is, there is no clinically significant difference after five versus one conventional radiation treatment for non-surgical solid tumor core compression, other than, of course, the number of days a patient comes in for their treatment. Up second, full outcomes. Initial abstract reporting of NSABP B39 last year at San Antonio suggested that local recurrence rates are just as low with partial as with whole breast radiation techniques. It just couldn't quite prove it. That's because the number of events were just too small for any meaningful non-inferiority analysis. Here we have the full manuscript published in Lancet 2019 
by Vicini et al., and it brings a slightly longer follow-up with more patients reaching the 10-year mark. And what does it change? Not the difference between arms and the primary endpoint of in-breast recurrence rates, which was 4% with partial breast irradiation and 3% with whole breast radiation at a median of 10 years follow-up. Despite the extreme similarity of in-breast recurrence rates between the two arms, the upper boundary of the confidence interval for the hazard ratio for local recurrence after partial breast radiation surpassed the a priori threshold, just barely. Threshold was 1.5, and they found a hazard ratio of 1.58. However, unlike patients with cord compression, you can't lose these women to follow up even if you tried, because we have over 4,100 women with long-term data that was valuable. The authors now unequivocally conclude that partial breast radiation cannot be considered statistically equivalent to whole breast radiation given there was more than sufficient statistical power. And importantly, there were no notable differences in toxicity, secondary cancers, nor patient-reported cosmesis. The bottom line is, the absolute difference in the rates of local recurrence at 10 years is less than 1% when radiating either just part or the entire breast after resection of a favorable breast cancer. Up next, new heights. Despite the tremendous efficacy of HER2-targeted therapies, progressive late-stage HER2-positive breast cancer is an aggressive disease with limited treatment options. In the HER2-CLIMB trial, women with advanced HER2-positive breast cancer, including those with brain metastases, who had previously been treated with trastuzumab, pertuzumab, and cadsila, received trastuzumab and capecitabine plus or minus to catnip. That's right, they had to have gone through the big three HER2-targeted agents. To catnib is an oral, small-molecule tyrosine kinase inhibitor that is highly selective for HER2. The patients with brain metastases, almost 50%, couldn't be in need of immediate treatment meaning they couldn't be symptomatic. But if they did need brain-directed treatment, they could get it and then subsequently enroll in the study. In addition, patients with stable brain metastases over 2 centimeters could enroll, but patients who had leptomeningeal disease were not allowed to enroll. Tocatinib significantly increased progression-free survival at one year, from 12 to 33% and improved the median progression-free survival from 6 to 8 months. And of course, that's great and all, but the kicker is that there was actually an improvement in overall survival at one year, improving the rate from 27 to 45%. Additionally, the median overall survival improved from 17 to 22 months. You might be thinking, well... How well did catnib work for brain metastases? Well, progression-free survival at one year went from 0% to 24%. For anyone who's tried to chase disseminated HER2 brain metastases, 
This is a big victory. One of the many interesting side effects of ducatinib is that it increases serum creatinine without affecting GFR, which is something to ponder when considering ordering your next set of surveillance imaging. The bottom line is, the addition of tucatinib to capecitabine and trastuzumab improves progression-free survival and overall survival among patients who progress on the big three HER2-targeted agents, Herceptin, Pergetta, and Ketsyla, even among patients with brain metastases. Thanks to Murthy et al., New England Journal of Medicine, 2019. Up next, rapid fire. That's the pace of practice-changing breast cancer publications coming out this month, including the full manuscript of the RAPID trial as published in Lancet 2019 by Whelan et al. We learned at the same San Antonio breast conference that where B39 failed us, this study established non-inferior local recurrence rates with partial versus whole breast external beam radiation techniques. The publication confirms no real difference in in-breast recurrence rates, 3% after partial versus 2.8% after whole breast radiation at 8 years. One big reason statistical non-inferiority was established, despite half of the enrollees as B39, was a more liberal a priori threshold for the upper boundary of the confidence interval at 2 So interestingly, the upper boundary of the confidence interval in the RAPID study was 1.9, which was higher than it was in B39 at 1.6, but from a statistical standpoint, it's still considered non-inferior. For what it's worth, acute grade 2 toxicity was less after partial breast irradiation than whole breast radiation, 28% versus 45%. However, Late grade 2 toxicity was more with partial breast irradiation versus whole breast irradiation at 32% versus 13%. Finally, there was an absolute increase in fair or poor cosmesis after partial breast irradiation at all time points. The bottom line is, all available evidence shows no meaningful difference in local control when radiating just part of the breast though accelerating it to complete in just five days likely results in worse cosmetic outcomes. Up next, scrap the primaries. This happens a lot. You got a patient with a bulky neck node from a P16 positive head neck cancer who has a small tonsillar primary. The question comes up, Is it necessary to irradiate the primary if it was already completely excised because we know that there's associated toxicity? This single-arm trial from UPenn actively avoided radiation to the primary site in patients who otherwise had indications for adjuvant radiation to the neck, but they had a small primary, T1 or T2, with no adverse features at the primary. Most patients had T1 primaries in the tonsil. These authors were able to get the median dose to the primary site less than 37 gray, with 0% feeding tube dependence at last follow-up. At two years, 
only one of 60 patients had a local recurrence and it was surgically salvaged and only two had distant failures. The survival was 100% at two years, thanks to the Red Journal publication by Swisher McClure, 2019. The bottom line is, low-risk primary head and neck tumors may not merit adjuvant radiation independent of the regional disease it bears. Up next, Rapider. We all know the Dutch are all about being efficient. So they see the quote-unquote accelerated partial breast regimens of Rapid and B39, and they raise them. This prospective single-arm study of 20 gray, yes, 20 gray in a single fraction to the gross tumor for favorable breast cancer reports a 45% complete pathologic response at the time of surgery, six to eight months later, with only 3% grade three plus toxicity and no recurrences at a median of nearly two years. Dare we say, this may eventually turn into a definitive therapeutic alternative. Thanks to Vasmal et al., Red Journal 2019. Up next, Sound advice. One-time ultrasound screening for abdominal aortic aneurysm in men ages 65 to 75 who have ever smoked has now garnered a solid B-grade endorsement by the USPSTF. JAMA, 2019. Up next, Night Owls. They're bedtime procrastinators. At least that's the term coined by Chung et al. in this Sleep 2019 publication. Unfortunately, most day jobs aren't created for those who feel most alive at night. This study shows that that doesn't keep them from staying up later, primarily on their phones, which unfortunately is associated with more depression and more anxiety. Finally, billions. That's what the largest health insurer in the United States, United Health Group, is on track to bring home in revenues next year alone. So the next time that you're stuck doing a prior authorization or have a badly needed imaging study denied for one of your patients, it should make you feel good that United is on track to bring home $260 billion in the year 2020 thanks to the Forbes 2019 article by Jabson. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.